0: Well guys, I'm glad to be here. It's an honor to be with you this morning. My name is George Brown and I am the young adult director here at the church. I'm not normally the one that preaches or teaches up here. So if you don't like it, come back next week, all right? It won't won't be me, I promise. But I'm excited to be kicking off the Advent series and we're gonna be looking at Mark chapter one this morning and looking at John the Baptist and the way that he prepared the way for Jesus. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. And as we go from Thanksgiving to Christmas, we're faced with this reality of the holidays. And for a lot of people, the holidays are an amazing time, a time of celebration, a time to be with friends and family. But at the same time, there's a flip side of the coin that holidays can be very hard. They can bring up feelings of somebody that's not at the table that was last year. And that's hard and that's challenging. Or family that's moved away or grown distant, or maybe it's your first time or first year in this city and Phoenix and celebrating alone. There's a, there's a grief and there's an excitement. There's a very, a very hard reality of the holidays and a very exciting reality. And I think with Advent, we see those two things in tension, right? As we start to celebrate Christmas, as we put our Christmas trees up and Christmas lights and decorations, Christmas music comes on the radio, right? And we start playing Christmas music. And I want to say one thing in the name of Jesus, if one song disappeared from the radio, disappeared from Spotify, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You, I would be okay. There would be no harm, no foul to me. But on the other hand, there's a song that I would be heartbroken if it disappeared, and that's Oh Holy Night. And I love that song because there's a line in there that says, a weary world rejoices. Right, And that's the truth of Advent, that there's a weary world, there's a weariness. We don't have to look long, we don't have to look hard to see the darkness, the depravity, the death that we experience in this world in this time. But then there's a rejoicing that comes. And that's the beauty and the glory of Advent is that we get to say as dark as the night is, there's a bright and glorious light that, ha- that is coming and has come, that the light has dawned in the person of Jesus. And even today on Sunday as a church, we get to celebrate and know that the story doesn't end with a baby in a manger, right? We get to know the ending of the story that Jesus lived a perfect and holy life, that he died on the cross, that he died the death we deserve, that we get to live a life that we don't deserve to live and we get to celebrate that. But as we do, as we celebrate Advent, I think it's an invitation for us to be countercultural. I think we live in a world and a culture that wants us to think, me, 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 right? Say, what's your next promotion? What's your next job, right? When are you getting married, all right? When you're married, when are you gonna have a baby? All right, when you have a baby, when are you gonna have a house? What's next, what's next? Me, me, me. And we're tempted if we're not careful to start to believe that story, to start to think it is about me, me, me. I think the Advent season is an invitation for us to be countercultural and to be a part of a story and be reminded that there is a story that is so much bigger than us. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is we're in Mark chapter one, as we're looking at John the Baptist, that we, that you and I can be encouraged and challenged, that we are a part of a story, the story, right? God's story from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that there is a story that is so much bigger than our next promotion, right? Or whatever's next in life, that there is a story that we get to be a part of that is wonderful and as dark as the night is and as dark as we see life to be, that there is a light that is coming that is so, so bright. So my hope is that as we look at Mark chapter one, that we'll be encouraged to be a part of that story. So let's look at Mark chapter one, starting in verse one. It says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight." See, this is the start of the story. This is the start of the gospel. The gospel of Mark, as a lot of scholars and professors will guess, the gospel of Mark was the first gospel to be written. Out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospels, four different accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, God become flesh, Mark was most likely the first one written. And between the end of the Old Testament, the end of Malachi, there's about 400 years of silence. 400 years, not that God stopped moving and working in the world, but 400 years where there's a gap between the recording or prophecy of God and his word. So Mark is saying, hey, the story's picking back up. He's saying, hey. Wake up, wake up. If you're in a deep sleep, this is a time for you to wake up. I don't know if you have ever been a parent on Christmas morning that maybe you're tired, exhausted for whatever reason and you get woken up suddenly, right? Kids excited to see what Christmas morning has in store, to see what presents may be under the tree, what there is, or... Better yet, if you're a college student and you live in a dorm or an apartment on campus, maybe you've heard, attention, this is not a drill. A fire has been reported in the building. And if you live in the Antelope apartments at GCU, like somebody I know, this typically happens between two and 5 a.m. on weekdays when people have to go to work and class. It's not fun. But the gospel of Mark, this is his fire alarm. This is his wake up call. He's saying, hey, it's been silent. It's been quiet, but he's saying, hey, wake up. This this is it. Everything back here, all of these pages, the prophecies, the prophets, the Old Testament, all of its fulfillment is pointing to this person, to this time. Mark is saying, hey guys, listen up. Verse one, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the savior of the world, right? And I had a little bit of an analogy, a little bit of a comparison. I was told by somebody that it made me sound like a little bit of a nerd, all right? And that somebody was our pastor, Tim, all right? And this, these three stories I was looking at, I was saying, hey, first word set the tone for the story. So I wanna see kids, but everybody you're invited to help me out if you can figure out what story this is from. First one, once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. All right, keep track of your own score. That one is the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. All right, so one point if you got that one. The next one, it gets a little bit easier. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. That one's the hobbit, all right? That should be easy. Two points if you're on track so far. Third one should be the easiest. If not, let's talk after. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. All right, that's, that's Star Wars, all right? Three points if you got them all right. Talk to Danica after. She should have a prize for you. Just kidding, but she should. All right, first words start the story. They set the scene. They say, hey, this is what the story is about. And the gospel of Mark is doing just that. He's saying the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So being woken up from a deep sleep, he's saying, hey, pay attention. This is what it's all about. And even better yet, Mark and John the Baptist is quoting Isaiah chapter 40, right? The story starts with our savior and he's quoting back to Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm gonna have you guys help me out one more time and then I'll give you guys a little bit of a break. So don't worry but there's songs, right? Like if you guys have ever heard the song, Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. If I started that song, I won't. You guys could most likely finish the lines to that song. Or another one, a classic, I need your guys' help, all right? If I were to say, row, row, row your boat, you would say, right? Gently down the stream. Thank you, Greta. So we would, we would know that. And just in the same way as Mark quotes that passage, he's, it's his version of saying, hey, row, row, row your boat. And Mark, or sorry, Isaiah chapter 40, verse three, he says this, it says this, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. That sounds familiar, right? but listen to what's next. Listen to what people in the first century would have thought of after that. It says this, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken right? That's what Mark 1 is pointing to. That's the reality that Mark 1, that John the Baptist is preparing us for. That's why he wants us to pay attention. Did you hear that? Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough place is a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken." Right, that's Jesus. He's coming to make all things new, to make the uneven ground flat. That's my favorite line. Even though in this world, as it's dark, as it's sick, as it's messed up, as uncomfortable as it is, the uneven ground, Jesus is coming to make it flat. And that's what Mark one is preparing us for. So as, he, as they're preparing the way in the wilderness, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and that, as we know, is the person of Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at John the Baptist and what specifically his ministry was and what he was preaching. Mark chapter 1, verse 4, if you keep reading with me. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins." Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Do you guys see what John the Baptist is doing? Do you see how he's preparing the way? He is pointing to Jesus. And I say, our example, if we're gonna look at John the Baptist and follow his example, I'll tell you what we're not supposed to do is to eat locusts and wild honey and wear camel's hair. That's not the application. The application is to do what John the Baptist did to find our purpose and pointing to Jesus. And I'll tell you why. The best recommendation you can get, Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, he says this. Truly I say to you among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he right Jesus himself is saying hey among those born of women which is most people I know right John the Baptist is the greatest And even the person who is the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than John the Baptist. So first of all, I think Jesus is saying, hey, look at what John the Baptist did, look at how he lived. But he's also saying you, you and I, we have an invitation to do what John the Baptist did. We have an opportunity to point other people to Jesus. And the good news is, is that John the Baptist did this over 2,000 years ago as he prepared the way for Jesus. I keep reading in Mark, I see in Matthew, Luke, and John, there's two kinds of people that John the Baptist most likely encountered because these are the two kinds of people that Jesus encountered. The religious people, those that knew Jesus was coming, that knew the Messiah was coming, that were waiting for him, and that as they were waiting for him, they added rules and religion and regulations, things that aren't found in scripture. They started adding a burden that was never meant to be carried. They started adding things that made them look good by doing good, right? They wanted to feel good based off of how they looked. So the religious people, John the Baptist is proclaiming, and maybe you know some people like that. And then there's another group of people I see Jesus minister to in the first century. And I know John the Baptist was preparing the way. And those are the rebellious people, people that don't know what they don't know. They're not expecting a savior because they didn't know there was a savior. And I think as we do our lives day in and day out, as we go to work, as we go to class, even as we go to church, as as we go to the store, even the people that we live with, you're gonna look to your left and to your right, And you're gonna see those same two types of people that John the Baptist would be proclaiming this to. The religious people who wanna look good and feel good about what they do and their performance and the rebellious people who are seeking peace in places that are fleeting and temporary. And John the Baptist is proclaiming the same thing to them. But look at what he proclaims. He doesn't look at the religious person and say, hey, your system is broken. Your religion is making you look good without actually being good. And he's not looking at the rebellious person and saying you're broken and messed up because I'll tell you a secret. Both people know that, right? The religious person deep down, they know it's not working. It's temporary, And deep down, the rebellious person, they know it's not working. They're empty, they're dead inside, and it's fleeting. John the Baptist doesn't say either, but look at what he says. Look at verse seven. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Do you hear that? After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I want to follow the example of John the Baptist. I wanna encourage and invite you to do the same. We don't need to look at the religious or the rebellious person and tell them how broken they are, but rather our purpose is found in pointing to Jesus to say, hey, there's a good and glorious savior whose sandals we're not even worthy to stoop down and untie, but he is good and he is holy and perfect and he wants a relationship with you. He's coming. As you keep reading in Mark chapter one, people respond to that. They respond to hearing how good and glorious the savior is and that he loves them and wants a relationship with them. And as we interact with and do life with religious and rebellious people, I hope we can say the same thing. In Mark chapter one, verses seven and eight, the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, he says John the Baptist's message like this the real action comes next. The star in this drama to whom I am a mere stagehand. He will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit will change you from the inside out. I love that paraphrase that he says, the star in this drama is coming to whom I'm a mere stagehand. You and I, We're not the stars in this show, right? As Advent comes, as we look forward to Christmas, we get the opportunity to step aside from the story that's easy, that's fun to say, me, me, me. And we get to say, I don't wanna be the star in the show. If I was the star in the show, it wouldn't be a good show, right? We could say, I want to be the stagehand. Our purpose is found not in being the star, but being the stagehand. Our purpose is found in pointing to Christ, not pointing to the brokenness of the religious system, not pointing to the brokenness of rebellion, but pointing to a good and glorious savior who is coming again. There's a story that I heard this Thanksgiving, and I don't know about you, but at Thanksgiving, my family tells a lot of stories around the table. Sometimes there are stories, but more likely, they're stories of other people. And this last Thanksgiving, we got to spend it with the side of the family that I always look forward to being with my aunt and uncle that live over in Gilbert, and they're awesome parents. They have three young kids, and over the summers, they road trip for months at a time and go from one national park to the next and see more places than. I could ever dream of in a lifetime, it seems like. And then during the year, they go from state park to state park and national monuments all in Arizona and all these day trips. They always have stories. But this year, my aunt had recently heard a story that she shared with us about somebody hiking the Appalachian Trail. And for outdoorsy people, for hiking people, you know, for those REI kind of people, the Appalachian Trail is the Mecca. It's the hike that everybody wants to do, a bucket list hike that's over 2,000 miles that goes south from Georgia all the way north to Maine and gorgeous spots all along the way. And people do something called through hiking where they do one chunk at a time. They hike, camp, hike, camp, sometimes hostels, lodges. Some people kind of cheat and stay in hotels, but a little bit at a time, they go over Over 2,000 miles for this whole Appalachian Trail. But she told the story of Geraldine Largay. She was a hiker who went missing on the Appalachian Trail in July of 2013. Now there's all sorts of conspiracy theories, which I won't get into, about feral people that live in the wilderness of the Appalachian Trails, but this wasn't her fate, if those are true. Her fate was being lost and unfortunately, tragically, being lost only one mile from the trail. See, she had been hiking a little bit at a time. She had her friend Jane with her. She was a retired Air Force nurse, 68 years old, that was ready for a challenge. So she prepared, she prepped, and she went to go do the Appalachian Trail. Her friend Jane had a family emergency about halfway through the hike and had to leave. Geraldine, or as on the trail, they called her Inchworm because people on the trail come up with code names. As you're catching up to people and hiking with random friends, they come up with nicknames. Hers was Inchworm because she was going little bit, a little bit. And her husband, whose name was George, ironically enough, would meet her along the way at different planned stops, drop off food, water, different supplies. But on July 22nd, 2013, she didn't show up to her destination. Her husband got a little bit worried. He tried not to panic, thought maybe she was behind schedule. And the next morning he waited patiently. She never showed up. He called the state, state authorities, they got National Park Ranger search and rescue. But unfortunately at that very time that he reported her missing, a torrential rainstorm came for several days. And rain makes these search and rescue missions nearly impossible. Hard to see, hard to hear, And worst of all, it makes it hard for dogs to smell and track down a scent. So they didn't know what happened until October, 2015, nearly two years later, they found her tent, they found her remains and they found a journal. And she kept a journal of the 26 days she spent in the wilderness before she eventually passed. What had happened is she had gotten off trail. She went to go relieve herself. And for kids, relieving yourself is a fancy way of saying she went to go poop, okay? Just have to say that. She went to go relieve herself, she got lost and she got her cell phone out and she texted her husband and she said, went off trail to go to the bathroom somewhere north of the wood road, contact the Appalachian Trail managers and see if they can help. But she tried to send it once, twice, ended up trying to send it 10 times, but didn't have cell service. She saw a mountain ridge not far off and went and hiked up it hoping that elevation would give her cell service, but it did not. She eventually set up camp and tried to wait for somebody to come and get her. The tragic part that authorities report is that she was set up in a thick wooded area, but her tent was about 100 yards from a huge clearing. And once she had, if she would have ever gotten to that clearing, just 20 minutes hike, she would have been on a very frequently used logger road and she would have found help. Just one mile from the trail. And I think the tragedy is that she was so close, yet so far from help. I don't know if you guys have spent much time hiking or much time in the woods, but if you ever get off trail, your mind starts to play tricks with you. You get off trail and all of a sudden you start to think, wait, is that the trail? Is that the trail? And you start to see, wait, that looks like that's been used. Is that the trail? And then you start to get lost. And I think as we seek to do life, as we seek to find peace and we try to do the trail of life, there's two trails that we can frequently get lost on. And that's the same people, John the Baptist, preach to, the same people we do life with, we can go off on the trail of religion, of finding comfort in rules and appearance and ultimately facade. And we can go off on the trail of rebellion and seeking momentary and fleeting pleasures. And those two trails, they end up going in circles over and over and over and they'll drive you crazy. And as as we do life, we can see people getting lost. And our job, I think as Christians, is to point people back to Jesus, to be on the trail, to point people back to Jesus, to have our purpose to say, hey, this is the way, the truth and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through Jesus. There is the truth and there is a way. And as we're tempted to get off trail, as we're tempted to wander towards religion, towards rebellion, we get to stay on the trail. I think the better part of finding people and saying, hey, that's gonna drive you mad. You're going in circles over and over. You're lost and you're not gonna have help. Eventually those two trails, they both lead to death. And not only death now, but eternity apart from our creator. So I think the loving and, tr- and the best thing that we can do is to point to Jesus, not just for eternity, not just to say eternity of heaven instead of hell, But the best and most loving thing we can do is to point people back to Jesus for now and realizing that there is purpose and peace and hope that is found in Jesus. That we can have the same message as John the Baptist to say, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. That there is a good and glorious savior. He came once, and he's coming again. I think as the church, we get to respond to this good news. We get to be this good news. As the love of God happens to us, we have the opportunity for it to keep happening through us, right? At Phoenix Bible, as we say, love moves. I think John the Baptist is encouraging us and challenging us for love to move through us. As we experience the love of Jesus, we get to share this love of Jesus. I think that's the best way that we can point to our savior. The good news is that we know the end of this story. As we look forward to Christmas, we know the story doesn't end with Jesus in a manger, right? And even better yet, it doesn't end with Jesus on the cross, right? Jesus dies the death that we deserve to die so that we could live a life we don't deserve to live. And that three days later he rose again, defeating sin, grave, and death. I think the most practical opportunity we have as Phoenix Bible Church is to do just what Marco challenged us to do before service. That we have an amazing opportunity coming up Christmas Eve, right? two days a year that people are most likely to attend church. The two days a year that statistically people are most likely to say yes when they're invited to church is Christmas Eve and Easter. So we have an opportunity to look to our left, to look to our right, people we're in class with, people we work with, our neighbors, our friends, our family. And as they're struggling with religion, they're gonna drive themselves mad. They're gonna be exhausted, worn out, and burned out. And as they may be chasing rebellion, as they may be tired, exhausted, and dead inside. We get the opportunity to point people to Jesus, to find our purpose to say, hey, will you come with me to Phoenix Bible Church for Christmas Eve, five o'clock, there's cookie decorating, there's gonna be hymns, there's gonna be hot cocoa, but better yet, the gospel of Jesus is gonna be proclaimed. We get the opportunity to point people to Jesus, to be reminded that we are a part of a story that's so much bigger than me, 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 that we get to be a part of the story. And that's God's story. Will you guys pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for the example of John the Baptist. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of a story that is a good and glorious story, God, that we get to be a part of your story. God, we hope and we pray this Christmas season, this Advent season, that we can be reminded and challenged of being part of a story that is so big and so glorious and so grand. God, give us eyes to see people in our lives that may be struggling with religion. God, that may be struggling with rebellion. God, may we have the courage to point them to Jesus, to find our purpose there, to help them know that there is peace and there is hope. And there's a promise that's available through Jesus. God, we need you and we love you, amen.